Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Between chapter 11, verse 27, and chapter 1, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, is a whole year. So you can write that in your, between the, the, the chapters. One year has gone by. It's during this year, David sinned, after David sinned, he's been, he had been eating, this sin had been eating at him and torturing him, and he's screaming on the inside. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because it was during that year that David wrote Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5, which reads, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Let me have that there. Thank you. All the day long. For the day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, note this, saints, was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you. In my iniquity have I not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David is saying, for one whole year, I was miserable trying to cover up and hide my sin. God was merciful and forgave me, and he's talking about this situation in Psalm 32. So verse 1 says, we are one year from David's sin with Bathsheba, one year from adultery. One year from the hypocrisy, one year from the deception and the murder and the cover up, David is distraught and David can't ignore this sin because God can't ignore the sin. And David found himself in a straitjacket of guilt, a guilty conscience. And a Greek philosopher once said, there is no witness so dreadful, no accuser so terrible as the conscience that dwells in the heart of every man. David's conscience did not leave him alone. The only problem is he didn't go to the good shepherd. The good shepherd had to come to him. Well, verse one tells us the whole one whole year later, the child is born. And because David wouldn't come to God, God sent Nathan, the prophet to David. Now, I'm sure nothing unusual about Nathan coming to David, because we know from chapter seven, second Samuel, that Nathan was in David's cabinet when David took office and Nathan wasn't a basement person. You remember I talked about basement people and balcony people, and basement people are a bummer, and balcony people are fun, and balcony people lift you up and encourage you, and they have uplifting exhortation and exhortive things to say to you. Balcony people, people that are up. Basement people, they're a bummer. They always got some negative thing to say. We all know people like that. You probably sit next to one right now. So Nathan, coming to David, David probably thought he came to chit-chat. 
So Nathan comes to David, no big deal. Think about this. God gave David a year to deal with this sin and to repent. A year. That tells us that God is trying to love people and give people an opportunity to come to him. God is not trying to embarrass people. He is not trying to judge people. I think of this verse, and I thought of this verse today in Genesis chapter 32, 24. Don't turn there. Just listen to me, please. Then Jacob was left alone, real quick, and a man wrestled with him. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Listen, I believe God would rather wrestle with you alone than wrestle with you in front of people. He'd rather wrestle with you alone than wrestle with you in front of people. There have been many, many, many times that something's not right in my heart. Personally, my heart, and God comes to me and he wrestles me down. And I really believe this. And if you're a real, really born again Christian, God will wrestle with you. He will win. He'll wrestle until you say uncle. He will win. He will wrestle with you. Because he loves you. So he's wrestling with David. We know that from Psalm 32, Psalm 51, other Psalms. We know that David is wrestling with this sin, but he didn't go to God. God sends Nathan to him. Uh, chapter 12 in verse 27, when her, when, when, when her morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing, here's what I want to bring you back to, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David's sin displeased the Lord. David didn't listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So God in his mercy are you listening? God in his mercy sent someone to speak to David. And that's why I titled this sermon, God's grace for the guilty or grace for the guilty. Because it was God's grace to send Nathan. Think about it. That was God's grace to send Nathan. God didn't have to send Nathan. He didn't have to. He could have judged David because David was guilty of breaking the law. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he's clearly guilty of breaking the law. There is no sacrifice for this sin. But God in his mercy, you need to thank him. God in his mercy, God in his grace, God in his love, God in his kindness, God in his compassion, God in his loving kindness and long suffering. One year. Sends Nathan to talk to David. I'm confident based on the Psalms, God was trying to deal with David. God mercifully kept speaking to David. Even when David wasn't listening, Nathan comes to David and tells David a parable of two men in one city. Nathan is using a parable to explain to David his own sin. Now, who remembers? I told you a parable, Calvary Chapel, a parable is what? Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Write it down. An earthly story, really easy, not theological. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The word parable comes from two words, para, meaning alongside, and bole, or bola, some people say, which means to throw. Alongside and throw. 
Jesus would often lay alongside or throw alongside a story to illustrate a heavenly truth. So Nathan is telling David this parable. So get the scene. Nathan came to David and said, David, we got a serious injustice in the kingdom I need to tell you about. And David takes a seat on the throne and says, what's up? Keep in mind, David's probably listening with rapt attention because remember, David was a shepherd and he spent a lot of time with sheep. Nathan said, there's this rich guy who has lots of flock. David's sitting on the throne. What's, what's going on? Well, there's this rich guy with a lot of flocks and a lot of sheep. And the rich man took the poor man's one little ewe lamb. He goes on, this one little ewe lamb, the kids love the lamb. The lamb was like a family member. We put the lamb up at the table. The lamb would eat it from the table, which don't understand that, but okay, fine. But that's what the Bible says. The lamb was like a family member. And David probably sitting there going, oh, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, I love lamb stories. That's so sweet. And Nathan said, what do you think ought to be done, King David? Now, Notice in verse 4, before we give you the punch, notice in verse 4, the traveler, I want to tell you, represents the temptation that David dealt with on the roof with Bathsheba taking a bath. It was there on the roof of temptation that that temptation began to control David. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verses 13 through 14. No temptation is overtaking you such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape. Listen, you can't let temptation go unchecked. Somebody say amen because it will get out of control. I told you there was no sin in seeing the woman taking a bath. That was not the sin. The sin came when David took a second look. Amen. Somebody once asked, when do you know you're in sin concerning a woman? The answer, when you take a second look. When you take a second look. Martin Luther said, concerning your thoughts, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair. You see, if we open the door, sin comes in as a guest, but soon becomes our master. Well, Nathan said to David, what do you think should happen to the man? David, note this, probably, I wasn't there, but here's my sanctified imagination. David clenches his fist, probably contorted his face, veins popping out of his eyes, in head, and he said, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. David was a redhead and a hothead. Uh-huh. Verse 6, before he dies, he's going to restore fourfold the lamb. And Nathan said, David, you're the man. Is that not a Kodak moment or what? You know, kids say, he got his face broke. <laughs> his, his face just crumbled like right, bam, right there. David probably said, well, on second thought, maybe he shouldn't die. Let's give this a, let's give this, let's think about this thing. Let's think it through. Let's think it through. We're, we're leaders. We can make the rules. All right, let's think it through. 
David said, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. Now, here's the nature of religiosity and judgmentalism. Your sin always looks worse on someone else. You're always more harsh on others than you are on yourself. Isn't that true? David said, the man shall surely die. That's harsh. And that's beyond the law. It's harsh and it's beyond the law. It's true. It's easy to see the sin and the fault in other people. Someone once rightly said, fault finders seldom find anything else. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 3, or why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and you do not consider the plank in your own eye? It's like you, we look at another person we go, Oh, man, you got like a little, little something in your little eyelash hair in your eye. And uh, that's obstructing your vision. And you look crazy. You, you just you look crazy. Something wrong with you. You look crazy. You look afflicted. Something's wrong with you. And then they got this big old rare old tie out of their own eye. It's like, wait a minute, who looks crazy? <laughs> I got a hair in my eye and you have a big old rare old plank hanging out of your own eye. It's hyperbole, but it makes the point that fault finders seldom find anything else but fault. The story is case in point. Your sin looks terrible on other people. Not only that, but it's harsh. There's no law for death for cattling Russell or rustling cattle. Kathleen Russell. <laughs> Who is Russell? <laughs> and what is Kathleen? <laughs> it's not that easy to do what I do up here. So y'all look at it and think, oh, that's just easy. That's a piece of cake. It's not that easy. <laughs> There's no law for death for cattle rustling. There's no law of death for stealing someone cheap. But there is a law of death to the man or the woman who is committing adultery. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man that has done this thing shall surely die. That's harsh. And there's no law that says that should happen. But when you're in sin and disobeying God, you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. And you're not following the things of the word. You're making up your own rules as you go by. I ain't talking about it here. I'm just talking. You make it up as you go along. There's no law against that. Nathan says in verse 7, go ahead and look at it. David, you may be king, but he's the God of Israel. And then Nathan is now speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God said through Nathan, I anointed you, shepherd boy. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul and Goliath and the Philistines and the Amorites and all of the enemies. 
And I gave you your master's house and wives, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't been enough, I would have even given you more. God says, David, I gave you the dynasty. I put everything in your hands. David, I anointed you, and there's no reason for this. Anything you want, I would have given it to you. Why have you despised, in verse 9, the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Listen, all evil is done in the sight of the Lord. Period. All evil is done in the sight of the Lord. I told you last week that David writes Psalm 51 as a backdrop here. And in Psalm 51, verse 4, David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of to whom we must give an account. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and good. All evil is done in the sight of the Lord. We think Because you're not there or because God's not like physically there or we can't see him or we can't touch him, that he's not there. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere at once. The devil is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Now he's got little minions and little, little buck private demons that can be all over everywhere. But God can be everywhere at once. So all evil is done in the sight of the Lord. Clear. Bible's, Bible's clear about that. Nathan spells out David's sin in no uncertain terms. You have taken Uriah's wife and you have killed him with the sword of Ammon. This word killed is the word murdered. Murdered. God is saying it may have been an Ammonite that killed him, but David, you use that Ammonite to kill him. He was a tool in your hands. God said, you've despised my commandment. God said, David, because you've done this thing, verse 10, the sword shall not depart from your house, implied as long as David lived. Now take note of this. Because you have despised me, God is saying, David, when you sin, you despise me. When David took Bathsheba and killed Uriah, that was an act against God. And because of that, David was never the same. And from now on, David's going to be the best king as a fallen king. Hear me. The best king as a fallen king from now on. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. He'll be the best king he can be as a fallen king. But David will never be the king that he was before this sin. Isn't that interesting? He'll never be the same. Everything changes for one act of lust. For one act of disobedience, everything changes. Alan Redpath said, when a man or a woman of God sins, they are like an eagle with its wings clipped. They may fly again, but never as high. Never as high. Thus says the Lord in verse 11, look at it. 
I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. The sword will never depart from David's house. And we know, listen, that God forgives, don't we? And God forgave David of his sin. But listen, that doesn't remove the consequences of sin. Think about it. If you get drunk and you hit someone and you break your hand, that doesn't mean the next day your hand won't hurt. It's going to take six to eight weeks for that hand to heal. So David repents genuinely and, and, he, and he's serious and contrite and repentant and makes himself vertically right with God. But on the horizontal, there are still consequences that will never leave his life. God is quick to forgive. But there are always consequences. Listen to me. God is quick to forgive, but there are always consequences. You reap what you sow. You sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. Although you repent on the vertical and you're all good, there's still repercussions on the horizontal that still need to be dealt with. And David dealt with the consequences for the rest of his life. Bathsheba has a baby boy, although later he dies. The sword shall never leave David's house. David's son Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. The sword shall never leave his house. Absalom's David's son acts like he's forgiving Ammon for raping his sister. It was his full sister, like blood sister. But later we learn that Absalom was planning to have Amnon murdered. The sword will never leave David's house. Okay, what is, what is Dad David going to say? What's Dad David going to say? He, nothing. Well, you know, Absalom, you know, uh, killing folk ain't right. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Got, got you. What is he going to say? He can't say nothing. He can't say nothing. Because his son will say, well, hey, what about that murder uh, that you had a little exchange with? The swords will never depart from your house. Two years later, Ammon finally, Absalom, pardon me, finally murders his half-brother Ammon for what he did to Tamar. And Absalom runs and hides from, in, from justice. David's actions have consequences that go on for years. And can I tell you something? Your actions have consequences that go on for years. Might even, might I say, for generations. Now, people take that. This is not what I'm saying, okay? People take that down this whole path of generational curses. You've got a generational curse. So you smoke cigarettes, and your grandma and your grandpa and your great-grandma and your great-grandpa and your grandparents and your grandpappies, all the way back to the 1800s, all smoke cigarettes. So you got the demon of curse smoking cigarettes. And it's a generational thing. It's a generational thing. So, so uh, you know, you, you drink. And you drink too much. Not water. <laughs> you drink too much. 
And because you drink so much, there's a generational thing there, and people get all into that. And that's kind of the Christian version of psychobabble. It really is. Don't get me wrong. I think there's room for therapy, biblical. And biblical therapy to me is called discipleship. It's called, let's get in the Word together and see what God's Word had to say. It's called, let me anoint you with oil and let me get some elders and pastors around you to pray for you so that, so that whatever's going on in you, God can bring clarity to your life. I, 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 I believe in that, but generational curses, I'm not so sure. Because I believe the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is no curse. Now, Jesus has broken every single curse that could ever possibly come your way. And if you're a believer, then you're filled with the spirit of God. And there's no room for the devil inside the temple of the living God. How can Christ and Belial dwell in the same temple? That's impossible. So I'm, I'm not saying that there's, there's this generational curse thing that people take it to a whole other level. I'm saying that when you sin, the consequences can be great even throughout your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren because they learn patterns from you. Parent. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.